0: They're right. We all have the choice to serve, to serve somebody. Maybe it's uh, somebody else, maybe it's someone, uh, maybe it's someone that's even ourselves. Um, I had a grandma that liked to play pranks. It sounds endearing. I promise you it was devious. Her name was Virginia, and she lived in Ravenwood, Missouri and she would do things she would do things like call a neighbor and say fran you won't believe it i know it's the 4th of july but the geese are migrating early thousands of them fran absolute that you got to run outside right now go outside and just wait by the fr- they're going to fly over any minute click knowing that her neighbor would just go out there and stand and look up at the sky she would just chuckle she loved to pull pranks. I can remember barely this. This is one of my earlier memories. I was four, maybe five years old, and my mother was working out in the backyard, and we lived out on a country road. And so she tried to train us, you know, not to open the door for anybody. But there was a very persistent, uh, I don't know how to describe it other than bag lady at the door one day wearing dark clothes and sunglasses and almost like a veiled handkerchief, pounding on our door, begging for food. And I was four or five, and I'm not supposed to let this person in, but this person was so hungry and just needed a little bit of food. And so I, I, I let her in and took her to the fridge and gave her as much cheese as I could find. <laughs> and my mom came in and goes, what is going on? And it was my grandmother, who had snuck down, without telling anybody, just to pull a prank of being somebody to knock on the door to see if she could trick us into letting her into the house, and undid all, of those, all that work of don't let strangers into the home. In one fell, pranking swoop, my grandmother liked to have fun. She was a little bit quirky. That's not all I remember about her, her quirkiness. I know that she liked to make people feel welcome. And I know she liked to give people attention. And so things I remember about my grandma, Virginia, were also um, her coming home or coming over to our house. And I remember picnics, okay? Like good old-fashioned, ants crawling all over you, picnics, right? I don't like picnics. I just, I don't. I don't know if this goes back, if this is some trauma coming out right now or not. But picnics on the grass with blankets and hot dog sandwiches. Who's had a hot dog sandwich before? Do you know what they are? If you need a new way to prepare hot dogs, let me tell you about a hot dog sandwich. You take the hot dog and you slice it vertically down the middle so that it lays flat open. And then you don't need to use a bun, you can put it on any kind of piece of bread that you want and put cheese on it. And so if you've been looking for something to do with your Oscar Mayer a little bit different, you could try a hot dog sandwich. Slice it down the middle, prepare it that way and then serve it to your guests, okay? She took the time to make something a little bit special, right? I can remember going to her house and getting like real old-fashioned fried chicken Right? If there's anything that's going to attract, you know, a 10-year-old, 12-year-old boy Up to grandma's house, you know, an hour and a half away It's the promise of fried chicken, mashed potatoes and gravy, right? Only now, cooking as an adult, I'm like, that's hard to do, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's, you, you can burn, like, it's hard to do to that. And the time it takes to, to put all that together, I can remember at her house, candy dishes. You know, you probably had a grandparent or something, you know, like, candy dishes, right? Just mounds of little candies, little chocolate Andy's mints. Right? Isn't that such a specific thing to have in a candy dish around the home? And just little jars of candy that you could go put your little fingers in and have little candies. I remember that. I also remember uh, my grandma, Virginia, taught me how to play playing cards. Kings on the Corner. Who plays Kings on the, Kings on the Corner? These are like very regional games, right? Like, you may not know about these, but, but Kings on the Corner, Crazy Eights, Rummy right these are very provincial things like these are things that are handed down you don't think about it but card games how to entertain each other how to be a part of something together these are traditions that are passed down my grandma also had another game it was a wooden board very old worn down and it had little marble holes in it and you played marbles it was a version of what i think is called sorry okay Um, Some people call it aggravation. You know that? Uh, My in-laws call it wahoo, which is interesting. (laughs) You know what my grandma called it? Murder. (laughs) I told you she was devious because she'd go around the board and say murder and then send the marble back to its home with eight-year-olds and six-year-olds. I told you she wasn't all the way right. But what she made us do Well, she made us feel welcome. The time and the energy to create a home, to create an environment of welcomeness. Making people feel welcome is the first step in what um, Will Guadera, I'm gonna call him Will, because that's a hard last name to pronounce. Will Guadera, who wrote this book in 2021 called Unreasonable Hospitality, you may have heard of it. He wrote this book, Unreasonable Hospitality. And Will was a restaurateur and chef and management person of a very swanky, upscale, elite, and yet underperforming restaurant in New York City called 11 Madison Park. Okay, so I want you to think about all the top chef shows you've seen on Netflix. I want you to think of The Bear. Who are my Bear fans? The Bear. Who's watched The Bear? Oh my gosh. So good. <laughs> it's so good all of these like top end chefs restaurants, you know he he took the management team he came on to 11 Madison Park but it was underperforming you know cuz it's a competitive business out there right that chef that high end chef world right and so he in 2006 came on to the staff the management staff of 11 Madison Park and he decided he was going to become the number one restaurant tour the make be a part of the number one restaurant in the world And in 2011, he got invited, him and his his partner, they got invited to come to this world's best restaurant, best 50 restaurants, it's a huge deal. And they were thinking about how they were going to rank themselves and where they would finish in the top 50. And it was their first year getting invited to this whole thing. And they're like, oh, we'll probably be in the 30 to 40 range. That's probably how good our restaurant is. And they were the first name called. They squeaked in. They were 50 out of 50. And he goes home that to not home but goes back to his hotel it was in london and he writes on a napkin that night at the bar after many bottles of bourbon (laughs) i will be number one in the world his 11 madison park he made the promise he put it on a napkin we will be number one in the world and from 2011 to 2017 his journey Was complete and in 2017 he became the top restaurateur in the entire world 11 madison park won the best restaurant in the world in 2017 and his book unreasonable hospitality chronicles what got them to that number one spot in the world and one of the things he discovered is that at that at that top end it's not the food that sets you apart is it like everybody's cooking good food right Everybody's cooking good food if you get invited to the top 50 restaurants in the world. What he discovered, it was how you made people feel in your restaurant that set you apart. And he tells this classic story. This is just kind of like this keynote, this marquee story for him, where there was one evening where he had some guests come in, he had some clients come in, and they were there in New York City to have a culinary tour. They were going to hit up all the best spots in New York City, right? They were going to eat all the things that they need to eat. They had a lot of money to spend, a lot of money to blow it off. So they went and they scheduled all these top-end restaurants. And they were capping off that evening at 11 Madison Park. And they had an amazing meal, amazing meal, great time. But one of his staff overheard these customers say something. And what the customer said was, you know... It's been a great trip. This has been amazing. I couldn't have asked for anything more, but there's still one thing we haven't had. And do you know what that one thing was that they hadn't had yet in New York City? A New York City hot dog out of a streetcar. There was one culinary experience that is quintessential to any trip in New York, and they hadn't had a hot dog yet. Well, his staff overheard that. Brought that news back to Will, and Will knows immediately, I have to serve them a hot dog. I have to give these people the one thing they haven't had yet. And so he literally sends somebody to go to a street corner and get a hot dog out of a hot dog cart, and he brings it back, and he convinces his top-end Michelin star you know, chef to serve a dirty water dog, <laughs> as New Yorkers call them. And so his chef takes this dirty water, he prepares it into like four perfect bite sizes. You know, like they do the chef thing, right? They sprinkle some salt. They do whatever they need, right? They put some ketchup, you know, like they fix it up. And they actually served a New York City street corner hot dog in a high-end restaurant. And you know what? It was the highlight of those customers' entire trip. Because it wasn't the quality of the food that mattered. It was how they were made to feel that left the biggest impact on them. And that's what Will is getting at. And why he wrote this book of unreasonable hospitality is because he sees it as more than just a book title, but really a motto to live by. In his book, he says this, and I love it. He's got a quote, which he says, I know he says it. <laughs> Fads come and go, but the human desire to be taken care of never goes away. Fads, trends, things, all that crap comes and goes. But the human desire to be taken care of, it never goes away. That's the heart. Of unreasonable hospitality—that is the heart of serving others. That's the heart with which Jesus lived, breathed, died, and rose again. And I want to look at a, a an example of Jesus's unreasonable hospitality, of his unreasonable service, and it's in John thirteen, John chapter thirteen. It's 1 through 15, but we're going to break it up into some chunks and just kind of look at it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read this first part, Um, but before I do, I just kind of want to pray for us right now, okay? Because I'd love to invite us into reading this together and not have it be me speaking so much as perhaps um, God himself speaking to you and how you hear what's happening. So Father, I just want to invite all of us into your words. These aren't my words. These are yours. And you desire a relationship where we hear from you directly. Not just from somebody else. And so I just pray um, that as we look at this, as we hear what's happening and what's going on, that we would hear you speak. We would hear you speak, and we would let you in. Amen. So this first part here, I'm going to read from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, real quick. And we're always going to ask what's happening, and why does it matter? So in verse 1... Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, we have to look at what's going on and why does it matter. And it's very easy to see first what's going on is is that Jesus is dining. There is a dining experience. They're together. They don't have their phones out, okay? They're face to face. And if we can enter into what Jesus felt for a moment, I I want us to recognize how heavy this moment was. This is what we know now, what we call now the Last Supper. Was it called the Last Supper back then? Not to the disciples, they didn't know it was gonna be their last supper with Jesus, it was just dinner. And doesn't that suck that sometimes you don't know when your last supper is going to be with someone? You just don't know. But Jesus knew. And so Jesus would have felt the weight of that moment. He would have known that this is the last time I get to recline and dine with the people that I'm closest with. So that's what Jesus has to be feeling a moment of heaviness. He knows that within the next 12 to 24 hours he's going to be betrayed, captured, tortured, interrogated, crucified, and put into a tomb. He knows that these are his last moments on the earth. And what does he choose to do? Now if it were me, and it were my last moments on this earth, it would be all about me. It might be all about you too. I would want to hold my family. I wouldn't let my family out of my grasp. If I knew I was going to die in the next 12 to 24 hours, I would would have my people in a vice grip. I would be a mess. I'd be snot crying everywhere. Like, Like It would be ugly, guys. But what does Jesus do? Does he make it about him? What Jesus does is is he takes off his like dinner jacket, his exterior robe. He sets it aside, which is kind of a metaphor. We could talk all day about that, but we're going to leave that there. He takes off his robe and he gets down on his knees. He gets down on his knees with with a towel around him. And he begins to wash feet. Some of you hate feet some people hate like like you won't wear a pair of thrift store shoes will you but jesus was washing these feet these stinky fisherman feet like gross bunions man what did jesus do in jesus's last moments he took the role of The lowest servant in the household. Because that's who got here. That's who gets to this position. If you're a servant in the household, you got to work your way up. You know who they gave the crappiest job to? The lowest servant and the lowest job was washing feet. But that's what Jesus does. He spends the last moments that he has with the people he loves making it about them, not making it about himself. Now let's read a little further, because this is unreasonable. The way he's acting is completely unreasonable, and someone lets him know it. So in John 13, verse 6, it says this. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter explained, then wash my hands and head as well, not just my feet. But Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. Jesus does something unreasonable? See, Peter knows Jesus well. Like, they've spent time together. Peter knows Jesus as both, I'm going to say it, Lord and Teacher. uh, Peter knows Jesus as, as this teacher who has this wisdom that just transcends all worldly, like, agendas and common sense. Peter knows Jesus also as more than just a teacher. He knows him as Lord, which we struggle with understanding. But to know Jesus as Lord meant to know him as having authority over everything. And so Peter knows Jesus as Lord, and he knows Jesus as the one who can tell the wind and the waves to stop, and they obey. Peter knows Jesus as Lord meaning Jesus has authority over even physical sicknesses and so Jesus can look at someone who can't hear and say to him be healed or can look at somebody with a skin disease and say be healed and the physical environment the physical world obeys and so Peter has seen Jesus come not just as teacher but as the son of God who has spiritual authority in the physical world. And so for Peter to see Jesus, to see Jesus getting down on his feet and washing, washing him, it's unreasonable to Peter and he, he rejects it. It's a gift too great to receive. It's what I felt when it was time for me to take my son home from the hospital, my firstborn. There's this thing that comes with expecting a child and getting ready and knowing that there's a baby coming and getting everything, you know, the room and da 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 And then there's another thing that's different, and that's taking that child home. (laughs) Because I can remember that moment That moment where the nurses are making sure that you put him in the car seat the right way. (laughs) And they check it, right? And then uh, you're supposed to pull around and they're going to wheel the mother out of the hospital. And you're like, they're going to let us take him home. (laughs) They're going to trust me (laughs) to take care of this seven-ish, eight-ish pound ball of fragility and neediness. And you know what I felt? Unworthy. Unworthy for such a gift. And that's what's happening in this moment with Peter. That's what's happening in this moment with Jesus is, is Peter feels an unworthiness about how Jesus is serving him. But Jesus is telling Peter, he's like, dude, you gotta let me wash you because this washing of feet, it's literal. But it's also metaphorical. Is if you, you won't belong to me. Doesn't he say that? You won't belong to me unless I wash you. And so what he's referring to again is he, is he is a physical and spiritual king and lord in that moment. And he's saying because I have the power to wash you of your sin. I have the power to break sin's hold on your life. Sin being that inner desire to be Lord of our own lives. To say, I know what's best. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to make things happen the way I want things to happen. I'm going to be the God of my own life and my own destiny. And so Jesus is basically saying, Peter, you've you got to let me wash you of that, man. Like you can't walk around like that and have life work out. You've got to let me wash you of that sin, that need to, to put yourself first before all others especially putting yourself before your creator your father god and peter swings the pendulum in the other direction he's like all right d- drench me man like i need all of it you know like and he gets it he gets it he gets his unworthiness he's like you gotta you gotta like i want a full bath man and jesus is like let's, let's just pause pause peter what he's saying is this, if, if if you don't receive that gift you can't belong to me If you don't receive that gift of Jesus serving you you can't belong to him and so all of us one of the things we have to take from this moment is we have to say you know what we do have this thing called sin it's not just a psychological function it's not just a sociological function it's a spiritual thing and it lives inside of us and it demands that we put ourselves in front of everybody else that we do whatever it takes to survive, it does whatever it takes to be comfortable in life, we do whatever it takes to make ourselves feel better, especially at cost to others. We've got to receive the gift of Jesus washing us of that. And when we do that, we experience a whole new kind of life. I wanna keep going here, I wanna finish this this part here, so we're gonna go back to John, John 13 verses 11 through 15. Jesus knew who would betray him, which is why he, he, he meant what he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. You know, I really like where he goes with this. I think it, it balances, there's a balancing here that's going on, okay? The first part of that, that middle verse, is that idea, that concept that if we want to belong to Jesus, if we want to be a Jesus follower, we have to let him serve us. That's one side of the equation. But that's balanced by what Jesus just says next. He says, okay, also, if you want to belong to me, you have to go and do as I have done for you. You have to do that to others. And so we need both parts of that, right? We need that kind of balance in our life. We need to see and receive Jesus serving us every day just through the, the the things that we're not even like aware of, like we like you got up and breathed this morning. You know? You were able to get here today or maybe you were able to turn it on from at home. Not everybody gets that. You know? And so there's that inner receiving of just waking up in the morning and saying, thank you, I have life. Let me receive that gift. I'm unworthy of that, but thank you for it. That lets us know that we belong to Jesus, the receiving of his grace. But also what lets us know and what lets others know that we belong to Jesus is that we will serve others. That just as Jesus... And this is what it is. It's like, he was God's son. Like, out of all the people that have ever existed, the one that should not get on his knees to serve others is Jesus. So, because Jesus got on his knees, because Jesus served others, how could we not do the same? How could we not follow his example and still be a Jesus follower. We have to be willing to let go of our agendas for the sake of his agenda, for the sake of other agendas, because that's how the world knows that Jesus is still alive today. What we need in our unconnected reality is unreasonable hospitality, unreasonable service. Serving others in such a way that does not make sense to them. Where it's above and it's beyond. Where it's about how we make people feel more than what we actually do. See, here's the secret. Serving others, it isn't boring. It's beautiful. There is a beauty in serving that can get you through the begrudging of serving. So I just want to kind of leave you with like three things here. Three things to remember. If you want to kind of take up this call that Jesus gives us, if you want to say, you know what, I do want to belong to Jesus, I want to be a part of his family, I want to receive his grace, but I also want to walk the walk that he walked. I want to give you three things to remember, three kind of secrets to serving that can keep you going. The first secret is, it feels great to make others feel good. (laughs) Right? When you make somebody feel good, when you make their day, it feels great. What if serving others was a, a brain hack... A release of dopamine, a release of adrenaline, a release of oxytocin. What if serving others was the most potent legal drug known to man? Completely free. It's completely free to make someone else's day. And you feel great when you do it too. It's that joy and it's selfish. And what if God wired us that way? What if we're wired to feel better? by giving our lives away and by serving others and taking the time and energy to do to them as we would have done to us. See, it's only that joy, the joy of really serving others that's going to get you through the crap in life. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, I think. I have it written here somewhere. Talks about this, and I want to read this because it's super important. This is uh, the writer of Hebrews, he's talking here, It's it's, uh, chapter 12, verses 1-2, to he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance, the not giving up, the not waiting, the, the not setting it down, the continuing to go. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I love that. Keep that scripture up. I love that right there. If we could just pause and look at it real quick. Jesus is the champion of your faith, not you. (laughs) You can have a sucky faith. It doesn't matter. Like Your faith can be up and down. He's the one that perfects it. So many of you have this pressure you put on yourselves to be perfect, this pressure, um, this guilt that comes with failing. Let go of that. Jesus is going to take care of your faith. You've got to trust him with that. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated on the throne in place of honor beside God. What I love about this scripture is, is it gives us a model. It gives us a model for reenacting Jesus' death and resurrection see jesus went into his betrayal he went into his interrogation he went down into the valley of suffering but had his eyes on the joy on the other side of the valley have you ever been climbing you ever gone to a mountain do mountain climbing If you're very in colorado right is if you're going through the mountains there's a valley there right and you can't see the bottom <laughs> You can't see the bottom. You don't know if there's a river, if there's a gorge. You don't know what's at the bottom of that valley, but what do you see? You see the next mountaintop. You see the high heights. And you're willing to what? To go through the valley to get to the next summit. And so if we look at Jesus' death and resurrection like that, It says, Jesus had his eyes set on the joy awaiting him on the other side of the valley, on the other side of the cross. What was that joy? Do you know what that joy was? A relationship with you. See, Jesus was willing to suffer and die because he knew it would gain you. And so every time, I I like to think about it like this. Every time I get interrupted, I suffer a little death. (laughs) When my kids interrupt me, hey, can you come do this? Hey, can you do this? Every time I have to set aside my agenda, it's like a little piece of me like, oh, I got to stop and do this. Oh, I got to stop and do that. Don't you feel like a little death happens inside of you when you get interrupted, when you have to set aside what you're doing to serve others? My wife dropped a vase on her foot the other day and ended up in urgent care. Do you think we were expecting that? Aw. Somebody said aw. Aw. We were doing a dinner. We were doing a retirement party. We were literally doing this whole dining setting. We were cooking things like salmon and orzo. Okay? And in the middle of all this, uh, a a vase got bumped and sliced my wife's foot open. (laughs) And we had to stop everything. The balloons had to wait. The food had to wait. The dog had to be kept on a chain. Everybody had to stop and wait so that we could help heal. We don't like it when things interrupt our plans, do we? We don't like it when people get in the way of what we want to get done. A little piece of us dies when we have to set aside what we want for what somebody else's wants. But the secret is, is every time we can actually do that, every time we can say yes to that, we're reenacting Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and we become more connected to him. And that's the joy we can look forward to. Every time we crucify, we put to death our little agendas, we reenact Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and we become more like him. And that feels really good, to be one with him and to know him. See, it's not what we do, but it's how we make people feel. You can make someone feel amazing with very little time or money, (laughs) right? Right? Like, you don't have to do these grand gestures, do you? Do you need to like, buy the trip to wherever? No, you don't. All you have to do is take two minutes out of your day and say, how are you? Are you okay? It's less about the grand gestures and more about being somebody who consistently shows up and makes somebody feel cared about that counts. Because it's not, again, it's not what we do, it's how we make people feel that will make people remember us. And so you have to ask yourself, how do you make people feel on a consistent basis? What is it like to live with you? What is it like, what would the people that live with you say about how you make them feel on a day-to-day basis? It doesn't matter if you surprise them with an amazing gift. It doesn't matter that you buy your kid a brand new Like None of that matters if in the little day-to-day moments you make people feel like crap. It's how we make people feel that we will be remembered by. Why do you think we're talking about what Jesus did at the Last Supper 2,000 years past it? Because of how he made them feel. They remembered that because he made them feel so served. There's one more necessary ingredient to this idea of serving graciously, of unreasonable hospitality, and it's the ingredient of respect, of respecting how God um, has ordered things, of respecting how God has wired us and respecting the dignity that others have in them just because they're children of God, whether they deserve it or not. Respect is treating people how you want to be treated, regardless of how they treat you. And I want to show you a clip of, um, of Richie, Richie from The Bear, because there's this moment, and let me set this clip up just for a second. The Bear, I mentioned it earlier, is, is my new favorite show, and it follows a high-end chef who takes over his uh, hole in the wall brother's hot deli beef Italian joint. It's in Chicago, and it is all, everybody on this show is an absolute dumpster fire, okay? They are a dumpster fire, every single one of them. And the high-end chef sends his cousin Richie to go learn how to serve people through one of his connections at another high-end restaurant. So you have Richie, who has worked this deli counter, and again is a dumpster fire of a human and is going to go to one of the highest rated restaurants in the world to learn how to serve go ahead that wasn't clean i've been doing this for nine hours i think i know what's clean i'm telling you that's not clean that was not clean either please do them properly you no know, d- they're forks outside Do you think this is below you or something? Man, I think I'm 45 years old polishing forks. No one is asking you to be here. I don't think anybody remembers your name. Nice try. You think I don't know how hard it is hiring people since COVID? We don't have that problem. You really drink this Kool-Aid, huh? Yeah, I do. Why? Because I love this, Richie. I love this so much, dude. Did you know that when this restaurant opened 12 years ago, it won the best restaurant in the world the same year? It's retained three stars because we have a waiting list that's long. 5,000 people waiting at any given moment long. Do you see their faces when they walk in here? How stoked they are to see us and how stoked we have to be to serve them? It takes 200 people to keep this place in orbit, and at any given moment, one of those people that is waiting in line gets to eat here. They get to spend their time and their money here. I'm sorry, bro, but we need to have some forks without streaks in them. Every day here is the freaking Super Bowl. You don't have to drink the Kool-Aid, Richie. I just need you to respect me. I need you to respect the staff, I need you to respect the diners, and I need you to respect yourself. respect. Lovely, I'll see you inside. Mm. I can do respect. Can you do respect? So much of the junk we carry with us comes from that feeling of unworthiness, right? That we don't know how to respect ourselves. We don't know how to respect others. We haven't learned yet how to see every other human as God sees them and so to serve others unreasonably to make every day the freaking super bowl for someone that takes starting with ourselves respecting how god sees us as his child as his that we belong to him and he's longing for a relationship and so it starts by turning towards him seeing ourselves the way he sees us, as a child that needs to belong to him and can find our home in him through Jesus. Once we start doing that, then we can start looking at every other human and saying, you know what? You are a dumpster fire of a human, but I believe you can be more than that. I believe I can see you as God sees you, and so I'm going to respect you. Even though you're treating me like crap, I'm going to choose to respect you because I respect God and I respect myself. And so what I want you to do this week is I want you to give a fork. I want you to really give a fork in your relationships with others. And what we have here, and I'm going to explain this, is, is in the sections here, there are some forks. There are some forks here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to call up the band and we're going to pray and we're going to do a last song. But when, when the band starts playing... Um, If you can keep these in your sections but pass them around, I would love for you to take a fork and this week give it to somebody as a free pass of service. That idea of you're going to give this to somebody, you're going to say, this is your free pass to have me serve you, to help you, to do something for you, where I drop my agenda completely. I set down what I'm doing. You bring this to me. At any point, I'm going to say, okay, what do you need? I'm available, I'm present. Take one of these, give it to someone, let it be their free pass to give back to you so that you can serve them. Would you guys pray with me, please? Father, I want, uh, want to ask you for help. It can be hard serving others. Again, we feel, we feel busy. But there's always enough time to make someone feel good. There's always enough time to repair a broken relationship. It doesn't take much. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. What it takes is recognizing that other person's desire to be taken care of. That you saw us down here on this earth. You knew that we needed help. And so you left the highest heaven and came down to this dirty earth and you got on your knees and you washed us clean. So whether it's feet or forks, help us be willing to serve. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.